0: hey it's, it's Easter everybody excited about that? Okay, that was was honestly a a kind of abysmal attempt at uh, being excited about Easter, but I appreciate the gratuity nonetheless. Um, We're actually going to try to get excited about Easter for a second. I know this is a little bit different of a way to start off a service, but I was just thinking, as I was kind of thinking through and preparing this whole thing, one of the things that we talk about Easter um, is that Easter is like a celebration, a celebration of life, a celebration of the fact that we serve a God who didn't stay dead. Um, In case you didn't know about Jesus or about what happened around the times of Jesus, um, a lot of the things that Jesus did weren't necessarily unique to Jesus. And that might sound a little bit odd to say, um, but Jesus was never, he wasn't the first guy to come and say that he was the son of God. He wasn't the first guy um, to actually say that he was God, in fact. He wasn't the first guy even to perform miracles. He wasn't the first guy to say, I'm going to fulfill some prophecy. In fact, Jesus wasn't the first guy to die on the cross. There were tons of people who came before Jesus who died on the cross. But the difference that Jesus made and the thing that we celebrate on Easter is Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead, and it changed the game. And so on the count of three, we're just going to all, like, celebrate. You can clap. If you're a little bit older, it might be a little bit weird to clap, so you can just clap. If you're a little bit younger, I would appreciate, like, a little shout or something like that. you don't have to get too crazy, but I would prefer you get a little bit more crazy than you feel comfortable in your craziness, because the reality is, is Jesus raising from the dead is a big stinking deal. And let me just tell you, if it's like national championship game, okay, you guys were there with me a couple of years back, not quite this year, we came close, but if national championship game, and, and there's this, you know, kind of end of the game play, and, you know, our, you know football savior, Jameis, is leading us down, though, you know, it might be heretical, but whatever, you know, leading us down the the the, 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 the field, and everybody's going nuts, and is it going to happen, is it not going to happen, oh my gosh, you know, Kermit just ran it back, and everybody's going ballistic, you know, and then there's this little play that happens, I don't know if you guys remember it, we had a receiver, kind of did a little inward slant, and all of a sudden, you know, Jameis just, in typical Jameis fashion, just delivers the perfect, beautiful pass, and I don't know where you were when you saw that pass get delivered, and when you saw it get caught, but I was standing in William Colley's living room, and we almost about three couches in celebration his grandparents by the way were there they almost lost a hip in the whole ordeal we dogpiled in the living room grandma was probably somewhere you know i mean it was it was that, that's probably a lie but we were there we were going nuts and i'm just saying that i mean that that i mean come on that, that that's a big deal we live in tallahassee that, that's a huge deal but i mean jesus raising from the dead i mean if that's true that is unbelievable so on the count of three we're just going to celebrate that for a second and then i'm going to be like a little choir director and go like that and then you can stop and we're all going to Back to regular church. All right, you ready? One, two, three. Okay, not gonna lie. I had no clue how that was gonna go. You kind of praying, praying, and prepping. I'm like, okay, God, that. I could look like a weirdo. Um. Well, here's, here's what I want to talk about this morning. I mean, honestly, I've been through so many thoughts on, on, on what to talk about about Easter because when, you, when, when it's the pastor, you know, everybody's going to show up and you've got to have the right thing to say. Maybe if I you know, do good enough, everybody's going to come back. And oh my gosh, I want to let Jesus, let me just tell you. My hope, my hope at the end of the day today, or really at the end of your life, whenever it is, is that at some point in your life, you come to place your faith and your hope in not a dead Savior, not a dead God, not in a million things you could place your hope in, but in the one and only thing that we feel like is worthy of putting our hope in, which is a Savior who didn't just die, didn't just sacrifice, didn't just love, didn't just make some bold and audacious claims, but He, in fact, rose from the dead. And there's a ton of stuff that you can talk about when it comes to that. But as I was thinking and preparing, I had about three sermons in my head, just ready to go. And in here this morning, I just feel like there needs to be an attitude of celebration of the fact that that Jesus, in fact, rose. So I want to read through this story. If you haven't read through this story as an adult, by the way, it's a pretty interesting story of how the disciples all find Jesus. It's in John chapter 20 is the one that we're going to read through. There's a couple other accounts of it, but the one that we're going to kind of drill down on is John chapter 20. John, by the way, goes into great detail about the last few days of Jesus' life, specifically the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And then he gives probably the most detailed account of what happens when the people show up at the tomb Easter Sunday. Now, let me just tell you. And the church that I grew up in, it was much, much different than this. You know, everyone had robes on, and there was, you know, incense and, you know, stained glass windows. And, you know, I, honestly, I, I love the tradition of our, of our church that I grew up in. But every Sunday, every Sunday, um, that was Easter Sunday, that the pastor got up. And, and you, if, if you know where this is going, then I want you to, you know, repeat it. So, um, the pastor got up, and the pastor said, He is risen. And the whole congregation said? He risen. Oh, look at you guys. Y'all grew up in my church. So... So what's interesting, what's interesting is we kind of have this cultural assumption oftentimes that when you read through the story of Easter, when you read through the story of the resurrection, when you read through the story of the empty tomb specifically, you read it kind of with this pretext or this context or this lens that you think that the disciples knew that, they, uh, that Jesus was going to rise. And that I, cause, cause, why else, why else would they go to the tomb on the third day except for the fact that they expected to see Jesus? What's interesting is when you actually read the account of what happens, Jesus rising from the dead was the last thing that they expected. Jesus rising from the dead was just, I mean, they had seen him physically die. They had seen him physically beaten. They had seen him physically hung on a cross. They had seen him taken off the cross. They had seen him put in the tomb. They had seen the big stone rolled in front of the tomb. That they knew Jesus was dead. In fact... As Luke recounts it, let me just go ahead and start reading. Now, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1 of the book of John. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now, Luke kind of fills in a little detail in this, in his account of it. And what Luke says is she, Mary came, and she actually came with a few ladies. And when they came, um, they were carrying some spices. They were carrying some basic embalming tools. Now, a little backstory. When Jesus was killed, when he was you know, hung on the cross and all that happened, after he had died, there was a couple fellows who came and they took his body and they you know, kind of got it prepared for burial. They had some ceremonial things. They you know, wrapped it in cloth and they filled it with these spices that were you know, supposed to be preservatives and whatnot. And so Mary goes to the tomb knowing what most women know, that if you leave a man to do a detailed job, you should probably have a woman go check just to make sure, you know. And so Mary, you know, doing what, you know, probably my wife does all the time, she goes and says, okay, I trust you. Well, let me verify that. In fact, I, I mean, come on, you know, there was a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, and I know you, and you're not, you know, you got some clumsy big hands, and this is a, you know, delicate job. So let me just bring some spices. Justin, I mean, Nicodemus, I trust you, you know, whatever. But let me go. So they actually didn't go to the tomb to find the, bris- the resurrection of, the, of Jesus, of the dead. They went to the tomb specifically because they thought this <laughs> Nicodemus probably, you know, messed this one up just a little bit. So they go to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples and the one whom Jesus loved, who by the way is John, who he's kind of a little, he's a little bit uh, self, you know, uh, boisterous in this account. And she says, "They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know." where they have laid him. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what we're going to find over and over. As the disciples get to the tomb, as Mary gets to the tomb, as people show up to the tomb to see that the tomb is not there, oftentimes when we look at this, we look at it through a, a skeptical point of view. I had, a, I had a great conversation with a girl today, or not today, this week, a lady that I work with. And we were talking, she says, come on, come on. Couldn't it be, couldn't it be, That he maybe didn't rise from the dead. Couldn't it be that maybe some people came in and stole him? Couldn't it be that maybe he like didn't completely die and that somehow he had the strength to roll the thing away and he kind of crawled away and maybe some coyotes ate his body or you know what whatever the you know little wolf like predators that were around back in their day. I mean, come on, isn't it possible that this whole thing is just a hoax? And here's here's what's interesting that assumption is not a bad assumption. In fact, that's the very assumption that every single disciple, every single person who saw the empty tomb assumed. Nobody, nobody went to the tomb, saw it empty, and said, He is risen indeed. They said, Where did he go? Who took him? You know, I mean, they just, they just have no clue. It's funny because we look at it and we just think, okay, yeah, you know, they, they knew, they knew they were spiritual. I mean, these jokers had no clue. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She's thinking maybe the Romans did it. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb. <laughs> now, this is kind of funny. This is just a little competitive thing that probably guys do that John's writing this book. That both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So in case you're wondering... In case you're wondering who's faster, you know, I mean, maybe it's like a short distance I could win, but the tomb's a little far away. So we both took off running. One of them got there first. <coughs> me. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen claws lying. I'm sorry. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen claws lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen claws lying there. The face cloth, which had been on Jesus, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. <laughs> then the other disciple, who by the way reached the tomb first, in case you're wondering who's faster, also went, and he saw and believed. Now it was interesting. It's interesting. We saw that the that the, that the narrator, who is John, says he saw and believed, but then he gives this little qualifying statement just after that. He says, for as yet, verse 9, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the, from the dead, and the disciples went back to their home. Now, here's what he believed. Here's what's, here's what's undeniable about the account of the resurrection. Goes in, sees this thing, and he believes. But what he believes isn't in a resurrected Jesus. What he believes is that Jesus is gone. So the girls come, and they just, they you know, they, they run back, and they say, hey, where did he go? We don't know where he, where he went. Someone took him. Maybe he got stolen. Maybe it was the Romans. We don't know what their assumption was. We can kind of fill in the gaps with whatever would seem like a logical assumption at this point. But they run back and say, "We don't know, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And so the guys start taking off after this thing. Obviously one's a little bit faster than the other one. Boy one was a little bit more brave than the other one. And so they eventually both end up in there, and all of a sudden they come to the realization not that he has risen, but that he's gone. And no one knows. Where he is. But Mary, verse 11, stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Obviously, they have taken my Lord, and I do not know. Where they have laid him. Now, here's what I love, here's what I love, here's what I love about the Easter story. Here's why, to me, it just brings so much validity to our faith. Because most of faith, if we're being honest, most of faith is very mystical. Most of faith is very, you know, you can't really touch it, you can't really see it, it's difficult to substantiate. Most of faith is just kind of this wishy-washy, wishes, hopes, and dreams type of thing. But what's undeniable about the resurrection is for the people in the New Testament, this was the validity. This was the proof. This was the substance to their faith. And what's so interesting about it is if I was recording an account of Jesus' resurrection... There is no way I would go into detail about no one getting it. Because they're going to get it eventually. They're going to figure it out eventually. But for the first little while, nobody. In fact, this is kind of interesting. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman... Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So supposing to be the gardener. Now, this is, this, this is crazy. So she's in the tomb. It's Easter morning. There's no, you know, everybody's dressed up in pastels. There's, there's no white going on. There's nothing. It's just her and this rando dude who just happens to be Jesus. She doesn't know what Jesus is at the time. In fact, she's so distraught. She's so upset. She so doesn't believe in the resurrection. She's looking at Jesus in the face and thinking it's some rando gardener who happens to be there. And she says this. Sir. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, you've, you've been in this situation before. We've all, we all haven't. You're in, like, elementary school. Mary talks to the gardener. Basically says, hey, Jesus, you know, she doesn't know what she's. Hey, gardener, if you took him, just tell me where he is. If you took him, just tell me where he is. If you took him, oh, come on. I'm not going to tell anybody. You know, in elementary school, you did this thing where somebody stole somebody else's glue stick, you know. And the teacher says, okay, everybody, somebody stole a glue stick. So, we're all going to put our head down and, you know, if the glue stick, you know, you don't have to put it on my desk, just throw it at my desk, you know. And, and nobody's going to say anything. You're not going to get in trouble. We just want the glue stick back, you know. That's kind of what, what, what Mary's saying. She's saying, hey, guard, come on. If you took him, I mean, come we, nobody knows where he is. This guy is important to us. For a while, we thought he was the Messiah. For a while, we thought he was the Son of God. You know, he died kind of through a wrench in our plan. In fact, he got, you know, crucified, really through a wrench in our plan. But, you know, in, in the medium time, you know, he did some amazing things. But since that point, we We've all kind of dissipated. We've all denied him. We've all kind of ran and gone astray. But, I mean, he, he, he was important to us. So if you've got him, let me know. If you know where he is, please tell me. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to God. To my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And you know what's interesting is Luke recounts it. They thought it was foolishness when she went back and said, he is risen. Now, what's interesting is these people who by all accounts, these people who by all accounts have completely discounted the idea of a risen Savior, that nobody thought it, nobody guessed it, And from the first moment they realized he wasn't there, their assumption was not he is risen. But something happened. You know what happened that changed the game? They saw him. They saw him. These people who had no thought. These people who had no belief. These people who had, you know, at one time thought he was the Messiah, at some time thought he was a prophet, at one point thought that, you know, he was all of these things, had just completely discounted him, had completely denied him in many situations, and didn't believe in a resurrection until he showed back up. And Paul recounts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul's talking to this church at Corinth, and he's kind of giving the play-by-play of how it actually went down. He gives a very good nutshell summary of how Jesus showed back up. And he says this in chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the Scripture. So, is, okay, so let's, let's start with this. This was the central message to you, Corinthians, that there's a God there's a God, and he died for your sins. And, and, and we've talked about this many times before. But, but here's the layout. Here's the basic principle of how and why Jesus died and, ro- and rose from the dead. Because for you and I, we have this problem. It's a problem that unites all of humanity. It's not you're a bad person, I'm a bad person, you know, I'm a pastor, so I'm better. You know, you're not a pastor, so you're not as better, you know. It's all of us. We all have this central problem, this central unifying problem called Sin. And our sin makes us fundamentally incompatible with God. And that's not because God hates us. It's not because God's mad at us. That's not because God wants to destroy us. That's because God is holy. And God is pure. And God is righteous. And God is just. And because of his holiness. And because of his purity. And honestly, because of our sinful decisions that are unholy and unpure. There's a gap. And I can't unholy and unpure myself. And so Jesus came. And Jesus died to bridge the gap between us and him. And Paul says, okay, so just as the scripture said that Jesus was going to die, just as the scripture said that there had to be a payment for sin, just as the scripture said that at some point there has to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, just as that was said, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And, by the way, that he appeared to Cephas. Now Cephas, as some of you guys know, was Peter. A little double name there. It gets confusing. So at so one point he, he appeared to Peter. And then to the twelve. So at first it was kind of like a one-person type of thing, which you never know. It's like a Loch Ness monster. Then it's like a twelve-person, you know, kind of a little bit maybe more credibility. And then he says a, a, a statement. That's one of my favorite statements in the Bible. In verse 6, And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now that doesn't include the women that were there. That doesn't include the children that were there. The reason that he didn't include women in this count, by the way, is because in their culture, the the testimony of a woman was invalid. So if he would have said a woman, they would have said, who cares? but there was maybe 700, maybe 800, maybe 1,000 people that Jesus shows up to and says, I'm here, I'm real, you saw me on the cross, but I am not dead. And then he makes this statement. Most of whom are still alive implication of that. Now again, the Bible wasn't written for us. But we kind of have these these documents that were preserved. But Paul was writing to the church of Corinth for a specific reason. Church of Corinth. Corinth was a place. Corinth was a city. So it's kind of like he's writing to the church of Tallahassee. So Paul gets all the Christians in Tallahassee together. Says, here's a letter. I want you to be sure of your faith. I want you to be sure of the fact that you believe in Jesus. I want you to be sure of the deity of God. And let me just tell you that he appeared to one. Okay, one whatever. He appeared to twelve. Okay, a little more convincing. And he appeared, by the way, to over 500 if you're just counting the guys many of whom are still living implication you can go talk to them you don't have to take my word for it most of them are still alive in Jerusalem you don't have to you know sit there and say Paul what about what about what about you can go talk to him you can go talk to him you can go talk to her you can go talk to you know Her, I mean, you you probably don't talk to women, and that's kind of a weird different cultural thing, but you're welcome to go talk to her as well. I mean, you can talk to anybody. Over 500 people at one time showed up. Many of you are still living. So if you don't believe me, go talk to one of the other 400 dudes that are still alive. That's all. Jesus. And Paul, in fact, put so much emphasis on this. I love this. Paul put so much emphasis on this. This is what he said in verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. That's a little bit of a confusing thing. Basically what he's saying is, hey, it's really important that we all agree that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, here's why this is important. Our preaching is in vain. And by the way, your faith is in vain. If this whole thing is just a farce, then everything we're doing is in vain, Paul would say. We are even found, even worse, verse 15. To be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Paul says, I mean, it's, it's worse. It's not just that this is in vain. I mean, we're falsely testifying about God, and that's a big deal. That's not just, okay, well, if it's not right, then my life's fine. Paul said, come on, this is a big deal. We're falsely testifying about God for the desert that are not raised. Verse 16, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith, your faith, Christians, by the way, this applies to every single person who would consider themselves a Christian. He says your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And beyond that, Paul would take this knife and just drive it a little bit deeper. And he'd say this. Then those who fall asleep in Christ are perished, or have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, if Jesus wasn't raised for the dead, if the only thing that we have, if the only thing we have God for is just for this life, then we are of all people most to be pitied. He says, if this isn't true, from time to time you hear a pastor and they say, you know, well, So what happens if this whole thing isn't true? What happens if this whole thing isn't real? And the response is, oh, well, my life is still good. You know, I still had a good time. I still had contentment. I still had joy. I still had peace. Paul would say, no, 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 no. It's way more in-depth than that. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then your faith is in vain. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, Then you're still in your sin. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, you're giving false testimony about God. And by the way, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, it's not that your life is good, you should be pitied more than everyone else on the earth. So here's my question for us this Easter morning How confident. Are you that Jesus was raised from the dead? How confident are you that Jesus was raised from the dead? How confident are you that Jesus was raised from the dead? And the answer to that question is so significant. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead, then that means he is God. If someone can come to the earth, and they can perform, and they can validate, and they can fulfill thousands of years of prophecy, then that's a really good thing. If someone can come to the earth, and they can fulfill all of these prophecies, and at the same time perform miracles, that's pretty good. If someone can come to the earth, fulfill all these miracles, all these prophecies, and at the same time be an incredible teacher, have this incredible, you know, life transition where they start out from a, from a uh, uh, carpenter in Nazareth. It's just like being like a tow truck driver from Wakala, you know. I'm not hating. Good for Wakala, you know. But I'm saying, like, the, the guy from Wakala literally changes how we map the world. The guy from Wakala literally changes everything. The little guy from Wakala becomes the biggest religion in the history of the world. The guy from Wakala changes how we order the years. The guy from Wakala becomes a really big deal from a tow truck driver. And that's a big deal. But if that guy from Wakala just died, well, a lot of people die for a cause. But if that guy from Wakulla, if that carpenter from Nazareth fulfilled all those prophecies, at the same time performed all those miracles, at the same time died on the cross, at the same time changed the makeup of the entire world for the rest of history, and if that guy in fact died, and in fact rose again, then everything in my life ought to order around what he said. Everything, how I handle my relationships, how I handle my friendships, how I handle my time, how I handle my money, how I handle just my thoughts about other people, how I handle everything ought to orchestrate and ought to be organized around if this guy died. Now, here's why I say this. Because... If for some of us in this room we come in this morning and we show up and it's Easter and you look phenomenal, you know, I mean, you got just you know, nice crisp white shirt, you got the bow tie going, or you know, I mean, you, I mean, you got, you, you look phenomenal. We don't ever get this dressed up. Are you kidding me? Me in a jacket? Get out of here. So you know, you show up, and if you believe in the resurrection, but don't live like you believe in the resurrection. If you believe that there's a fundamental gap between you and God. If you believe that there's this gap called sin. And if you look at this, this gap that sin left was bridged by Jesus. And if you believe that the bridge was substantiated through the cross. Or was, was just completely overcome by the cross. And if you believe that at the end of the day, God rose from the dead overcoming sin, overcoming death. But why don't we live like it? As I was thinking about this, this is how I wrote it in my notes. A lot of us live like Jesus forgave us of our sin on the cross. But don't live with the power of God that raised him from the dead. Don't live with the power of God that overcame sin. Don't live with the power of God that overcame death. See, I think that God meant for you and meant for me to live in this power, to live in this life. Paul would say, man, we are more than conquerors. I mean, conqueror, that, doesn't even be, that, that, that really doesn't describe us. It's kind of like if you took like a conqueror. That just sounds cool, it's just in theory. But you took a conqueror, and that doesn't really get it. I mean, we're more than that because of God, because of the cross, and more specifically, because of the resurrection. In fact, Paul, I'm, I'm going to go to this last little verse. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to do this. We're going to go to this last little section of verses. in Acts chapter 17. Paul's talking to this big group of people. He's at this place called the Areopagus. He's in Athens. He goes through this whole thing. It's a bunch of people who you know, none of them are Christians. Paul is you know, speaking at a church this Sunday morning. Paul is talking to this place where there's was a bunch of um, Epicurean Stoic philosophers. If you study philosophy, you've heard of them. And he's talking to them at this, you know, pretty significant place where people would come to discuss ideas. Listen to what Paul says about the resurrection. We're going to dive in about halfway in verse 29. He says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and, imagine, and, and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because, big, big time sentence here, He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. God says, okay, so we're all going to stand before God. We're all going to give account for our life. We're all going to be judged some way. That's a big, heavy thought. And we're all going to do this, and there's going to be a dude that does that. And of this, of the fact that's going to happen, he has given us assurance. Now, the NIV puts it really cool. And of this, he has given us proof. Now, I love that the Bible says proof because most of religion is just not provable. Most of religion is just kind of in the air. Most of religion is just wishes, hopes, and dreams again. But Paul steps back and says, man, God has done something. God has done something. God has done something. God has given us proof. And here's the proof. He has given us assurance. He has given us proof. To all, and here's his proof, by raising him from the dead. So here's the Easter message. Here's the point of this whole thing. If God is God, and if God was raised from the dead, it's really simple. If God is God, and God was raised from the dead, we should follow him with our entire life. If he wasn't, who cares? Do what you want. If God is God, and he was raised from the dead, then everything of any consequence in our lives ought to be revolving around him. And if he didn't, if you don't think he did, And that's fine. Do what you want. I've got like a minute before I got to close this thing. So we got another service to get to. It's a little bit different for me. I'm used to just talking for however long I want to talk and then we just wrap it up. Let me try to fit this one in. So, last thing is this when it comes down to the scriptures, Jesus always, always, and this is weird. Jesus always talked people out of Christianity. If you ever read the Bible, you ever read the New Testament, he did the weirdest thing. If you have a rich young we look looking up to him and says, "I want to follow you," how do I inherit eternal life? That's like a pastor dream. Pastor, how do I get saved? And Jesus look at him and say, "You know, hey, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me." It's like, yeah, I don't know. He'd teach to a big crowd, say something stupid, challenging, and then a couple of fellows would come and say, Pastor, you know, we want to follow you. We want to be your disciples. You know, Ben, please, will you mentor me? Ben, please, will you disciple me? Not that people like, are, like screaming for that to happen, but you should because I'm pretty cool. But anyways, so, you know, they come up to Jesus and they say all oh, this, you know, Jesus says, Okay, if you want to follow me, um, guy number one, I want you to know that foxes have dens, birds have nests. Son of man has no place to, raise, to, to, to you know, lay his head. We're going to be homeless. Is that cool with you? The guy's like, eh. Guy number two, but Jesus, go let me bury my father first. Come on, that's reasonable. Let me go bury my dad. Jesus says, nope. Let the dead bury their own. (laughs) What does that mean? They're dead. They can't bury their own, Jesus. Jesus says, "No." In fact, he would talk to big crowds and he'd say, you know, hey, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your son, your wife, and your very own life, you're not fit to follow me. Because Jesus died on the cross, desires a relationship with us, but desires people who don't just have a general adherence to him, desires people who are passionate, desires people who would give anything, desires people who see the fact that they get God, they get forgiveness from God, they get a relationship with God, they get life with God, they get fulfillment with God, but most of all, they get God himself, and they would be willing to sell everything that they have to get him, and they are just crazy obsessed with the fact that they get a relationship with their Savior. And that, that is why he raised from the dead. And that is why you can have assurance behind your faith. So let me finish with the same question. How sure are you that Jesus was really raised from the dead? Because if you are, it ought to change everything.